God loves to show himself strong in the lives of people. He has always done so through those who will give themselves fully and completely to him. Before giving the Ten Commandments, Moses commanded the people to consecrate themselves. Standing on the edge of the Jordan River, Joshua told the people to consecrate themselves fully to God, for he would do wonders among them. Jesus calls us to love him, not with part, but with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. Nothing held back, nothing separated. Not 10%, not 90%, 100%. All for his use, all for his name, all for his will, and all for his glory. To those who do, he will show himself strong with unmistakable, unquestionable, unlimited, and unthinkable power. The world has yet to see what God will do with, and for, and through, and in, and by the one who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. Amen. He is Lord of all. To those who will make him Lord of all in their life, who will consecrate themselves to him, he will do wondrous things in your life. Amen. Hey, it's been a great week uh, for us as a family, but for our church as well. Truett and Chloe had their baby last Sunday night late. Yeah. Check out these pictures online. There they are. And uh, beautiful Shiloh Genevieve Treadaway. Yeah. So she's doing very well. She was eight pounds, eight ounces born on January 8th. How about that? So uh, they're doing very well. Thanks for praying for them. We'll excite, be excited for them to get back here in a couple of weeks or so. We'll see them. And uh, God has blessed them, and we're grateful. So thank you for praying for them. So the Bible is clear that we come to faith by his grace. It's not by our works. It's not by our effort. In fact, while we were sinners, while we were walking and enslaved in our own guilt and our fear and anxiety and condemnation and rejection, God sent his son to die for us, to take the punishment that we so dreaded, that we so tried to come up with ourselves and figure out how to punish ourselves enough to make us good enough before God. And he sent his son and says, whoever, whoever will now believe and follow me, you will have life and forgiveness. Amen? This is the message of grace. This is the message that we proclaim. And Jesus desires for us to come with our all. He didn't call us to a religion. He called us to a full life surrender to him. He called us to walk with him. And for those who do, for those who will surrender their life to him, to love him with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, he will transform your life. He will do the miraculous. He will do more than you could ever imagine, ask, or think. But it is to those who will get past playing religious games, who will stop giving just a piece of their life to try to appease this God, but who will bring their all in full worship of the one who has given his all that he might be Lord of the all. Amen? So this is our series, Lord of the All. This is what he calls us to. And God's desire is to transform you and I. It's not to just stay with us like we are, but to be with us and transform us, to change us in the process as we are walking with him. And it's fascinating in my own life, and I've seen this in others as well, 
There are some things that early in my faith, God broke the stronghold of right away. Some things that just changed about my life. Um, a fear of what other people would think of me kind of just went away early for me. But there were some other things that didn't break away so easily. Some things that I've had to trust him for. I have walked over the years, even as a believer, struggling with some depression and other anxiety. But I am trusting in him, and the more I depend on him, I am seeing him bring me through breakthrough after breakthrough in those areas of my life and many others as well. And this is what it looks like to walk in faith. Some things God breaks early. Some other things God wants us to walk with him, surrender to him, yield to him, and in time, in the battle, in the persistence, in the waiting, in the, in the trusting him, even in the dark moments, he brings breakthrough. Amen? But it's often with a battle before it. It's often with a war that takes place. Today, our message is called Battle Before Breakthrough. We've been talking about this idea of this before that, consecration before blessing. Today, it's battle before breakthrough. And we're going to be looking at a passage in the Old Testament. Before we do, I want to show you our slide for our daily Bible reading this week. This is on the app. We put this on social media. If you want to take a picture of this with your phone right now, you're welcome to. These passages relate to this message, and many have found it helpful uh, in their daily Bible reading to have a plan that goes along with what we're talking about here on Sundays. So uh, take, a, take a look at these. You can go to the app again, social media. You can take a picture of this. It'd be great. So turn your Bibles today to 2 Samuel chapter 5. We're in the Old Testament. We're in the story of David. Uh, David is chosen by God to be king over Israel. It's not without a war first. Uh, Saul is the king, and Saul has lost his heart for God, and Saul has to be dethroned before David can come to the throne. And after a long series of events, David does become king. And so in chapter 5, we read about this, and David has been installed as king. David has been anointed by God to be king over Israel. And where it happens in the verses before this, and chapters before this, it happens in a place called Hebron. Now, Hebron is not where David would ultimately reign. David was headed toward the place that he was called to reign in the city of peace, Jerusalem. This is where he was called to reign. This is where he would eventually reign, but he would not be there yet. He would begin in a small town called Hebron because at the time, Jerusalem had other folks living in it. Jerusalem had the enemies of God in it. Jerusalem was the place to get to. Jerusalem was the place he would reign, but Jerusalem was not where he was now. Jerusalem was the place of peace, but it was not the place of peace in this moment because the enemies of God were there. We all know what it's like to be born, spiritually born, in one place and not realize the place that we're ultimately destined to yet. 
Amen. We all know what it's like to be born and be a babe in Christ and not have the confidence and the strength to be reigning from the place that we ought to in our life. Amen. We all know what it's like to be born here and know we want to get there, but the journey seems so far away. Amen. We all know what it's like to be born, spiritually born, and look ahead and think, man, there's so much in my life that needs to be undone, replaced, enemies that need to be removed, strongholds that need to be broken down, and there's a distance between where I am now and where God wants me to be. Amen? This is David's story, and this is where we meet him today. And to get to this place is going to take a battle, as we'll see. It's going to take some repetition in the battle. It's going to take some labor in the battle. It's going to take some work in the battle. In fact, it always takes a battle for there to get to be the breakthrough to get to where God has called you. I was just reminded of that again this week with Truett and Chloe. Heather and I had five babies. This baby was number 10 of our grandchildren. I was there when our five were born. I watched as Heather went through the battle of labor. Labor has a, a rhythm to it. Labor has pain to it. Labor has time to it. And the process of labor is a battle until there is a breakthrough and a birth. Amen? You and I have come to Christ in a battle that he won for us, but we often come in a battle of our own pride and ego and our own self-standards and will and trying to do it all ourselves. But the same is true in our own walk and growth to get to the place where we are more than a conqueror, where peace reigns in our heart and in our life, and we get past some of the things that stand in the way of us experiencing the fullness of Christ. It takes a while to get from Hebron to Jerusalem. So we start today in verse 17, and here's what it says. It says, now, when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. The Philistines were a nation that hated the people of God. The Philistines were a warring people. The Philistines were known for their immorality, the gods of fertility that they worshiped, the gods of war that they worshiped. And they believed in those gods and did not believe in the one true God. And so they offered sacrifices to their gods. They offered sacrifices from the ground. They offered sacrifices of people. And they were set on the destruction of God's people. They didn't like them at all. And so when they find out that there is a new king for God's people, they set out to stop this king from ruling. Because the Philistines know that if the people of God get a king to unite them, if there's a king to strengthen them, if there is a king to lead them, then they will become powerful. Satan knows that the moment you surrender every part of your life to King Jesus, that you become powerful. You become invincible. And you begin to win spiritual battles in your life. So the last thing that our enemy wants is for you and I to surrender every part of who we are to our King Jesus. And the Philistines were set on stopping that from happening for David. They didn't want David to become the new installed and anointed king. And so they set out to stop him. And this is what the enemy does for us. 
he comes after us to keep you and me from knowing this is where our destination is. He keeps us from believing that he truly is capable and powerful to deliver and transform us. The enemy doesn't want you to know that. And so he'll come after you and toss out the carrot of anxiety and bitterness and resentment and doubt and distraction and temptation and sin because he wants to keep you from being at a place where Jesus is ruling as Lord over every bit of your life. Because the moment that happens, you really do become filled with peace and joy and strength and confidence and boldness and you start doing the impossible. You start becoming more than a conqueror, amen? This is where victory is and that's why the enemy does not want that to happen for you. He knows that the moment you realize you're a child of the king, he knows that the moment you realize that you become undefeatable. So the Bible says, and David heard of it, and he went down to the stronghold. Now, it's interesting because he was in Hebron, but he's got to get to Jerusalem where he can reign but to do so, he goes to another place first. He goes down to a, a stronghold, the Bible says. He went to a place where his military advisors were hanging out. He went to the place where his soldiers were gathered. He went to a place that many believe was a cave. And here he hid out with his soldiers, his trusted advisors, his strategists, those that stood with him, those that supported him. He didn't go there in fear. He didn't go there with anxiety. He went there knowing this is where I'll find my strength. To get to Jerusalem, David would have to go through a battlefield. And so he gathered with his most trusted advisors his men of faith, his men of strength, and the men that loved him and trusted him. You know that's what we're doing right here this morning, right? We've gathered with those who are our spiritual strategists, advisors, counselors, brothers and sisters in the faith who will pray for us, who we can lean on because we're all in this process of trying to get where God has for us to go and I need some other folks with me in the journey. I can't get there alone. I need, I need other people in my life to pray for me. I need to share my story. I need others to hear what God is doing. I need to listen to what they have to say because if you try to fight this battle alone, you'll never get from Hebron to Jerusalem. And so God puts together the church in our day that we might walk down this path together, amen? That we might have all the strength that we need for fighting the battle that is in front of us. And so the Bible tells us that here in this place, in verse 18, it says that the Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. In this massive valley between the stronghold and Jerusalem, the Philistines gathered from all around if we were to look back in Joshua chapter 13, we would find that there were 
five different cities or principalities of Philistines. It described those cities, and though they were separate, they were filled with Philistines who were set on the destruction of the people of God. They were a stronghold, if you will. They were preventing the people of God from getting to the place of ruling and reigning. So in Joshua 13, it points out these five principalities, and I want to talk about them for just a moment because there's so much power in this story, I think, between what stands between you and I and our city of peace, our place of confidence, our place of joy, our place of walking in bold faith, our place of reclaiming what is ours in the faith and living truly as we have been called to live as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Amen? I'm talking about in our families. I'm talking about in our own personal faith. I'm talking about in our cities. I'm talking about in our nation of God being glorified, Jesus being Lord, Jesus changing people's lives, even here in our area and us helping in this process. So these five principalities, these five cities, here they are. The first of them is Gaza. Gaza was a city that sat on the border of Egypt and Israel between where they had been in slavery and where they needed to go. Gaza was a place that the very name Gaza means strength, means power. And Gaza stood as a, a roadblock. Gaza stood as a stronghold between all that God had for his people and all that the Philistines were, the enemies of God. And they stood in the way. I believe that the Gaza Philistines represent to us the very spirit of resistance. They were a force of strength. They didn't like the people of God and they fought with murder in their hearts for them. There is a spirit in our world today that is the exact same spirit. And there is a resistance within all of us that we must fight against from the days of our flesh. That is the spirit of resistance. Have you ever felt that spirit of resistance before in you? When God says, here's what I want you to do, and there's a part of you that just says, I don't want to do it. There's just a part of us that just rebels and resists and pushes back against that. That is the spirit of resistance. And that spirit is what stood against David that day on his way to the throne. The spirit of the Gaza Philistines. And what's fascinating to me is that Gaza is mentioned again in the New Testament. Gaza is the city that the Ethiopian eunuch was going to when Philip ran alongside his chariot, shared the gospel with him, and baptized him immediately in some water that was nearby. God can take the places of your greatest resistance in your life and redeem it through the power of the gospel to make you a child of God that is humble, that is a servant, that is not about your self-will, but is about God's will and a willingness to do whatever he says, no matter what the cost. Amen? This was one of the Philistine 
principalities that stood against David in that day. The other was Ekron, another city. This word means exterminate, to eradicate. They were Philistines who just by their sheer force and size and military strength struck fear into everyone that they came upon. To hear that the Philistines were coming upon you was terrifying. In Ekron, they, there was a temple to one of their gods. This temple was Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies. They believed he was Lord of the Flies because there was so much death, so many carcasses around them that the flies had gathered in the city. And so they offered up sacrifices to their God, Beelzebub, and called him the Lord of the Flies, who would remove the stench and the carcasses. They were corrupt people. They were an immoral people. And the Philistines of Ekron, to me, represent the stronghold of fear. As I told you, you've heard me say before, I can relate to this one. I can relate to the debilitating spirit of fear. I stand in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. And that is one of those that I have had to go to battle with and still do. And by faith, stand over it. But I know what happens when I yield to it. My guess is as we talk through this today, you're going to recognize one or more of the strongholds that may be preventing you from standing in your place in Jerusalem. Ekron, the fear, the spirit of intimidation, the spirit of anxiety, the spirit of insecurity, the spirit of uncertainty. This one stronghold seems to be what's grasp the church today in our day. So many churches, rather than stand up and proclaim truth, have cowered and pulled back and gone with the ways of the world and given in to the intimidation of the woke mob in our day. And it is time for us to stand against them as we're about to see David do against the Philistines of Ekron. The third city mentioned in Joshua 13 is Ashdod, Ashdod. Its name is a name that means ravage, to destroy. I believe it represents appetites. You and I in our day know very well the power of the flesh and its own natural appetites, its own urges to want its way, whether it be the appetites for food, appetites for alcohol, appetites for lust, appetites for greed, appetites for the approval of people. Those are all the flesh the Bible describes. And to me, the Philistines of Ashdod represent this spirit of ravaging lust, greed, and appetite. Philistines lived for this. They lived for themselves. 
without any concern for others. There's an interesting story in the Bible in 1 Samuel about this city, Ashdod. The Philistines had brought their god, Dagon, who was a, uh, a creature they believed that was half man, half fish. And they had built a, a statue, an idol. And they, they brought it in to the very spot where they had captured the Ark of the Covenant of the people of God. And they put these two in this room together and they left out. They came in the next morning and the Dagon statue was on its face bowing before the Ark of the Covenant. I'm not making this up. This is in 1 Samuel. They set it back up, thought some kind of freak occurrence had happened. They left, came back the next day, came in again. Here's the Ark of the Covenant still. Here is their God, Dagon, on the ground again, bowed down, this time with his arms cut off and its head cut off. God was saying, there is only one God. You will not put me next to anyone else. The same is true for us. We are called to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. And if you try to yield to the flesh, you'll find yourself given over to all of its desires. You'll find what the world is now involved in, giving itself over to every urge, every appetite, and calling it how they were born, calling it good instead of calling it what God calls it, sin. And the world is given into it today on every front, whether it be sexual, whether it be their desire for money, whether it be their desire for greed or power, they have given over fully to it and dismissed anything that stands in the way of it and stood with their appetites on the altar and are bowing to them. But God will not be mocked, for he alone is God. But the Bible tells us about a fourth city. It's the city of Gath. The city of Gath you may recognize because Gath is where Goliath was from. Gath is where that giant was. And we know that Goliath stood in opposition as the single fighter of the Philistines. And it was David who stood against him Though he was small, he didn't go out with massive armor on. He went out with a, a rock, a sling. And he said, you come to me with a spear and the sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. Amen? David stood against the Goliath from Gath. Gath, that means wine press. Gath, that stood for the place where they stomped out the grapes where they stomped out the olives and gained the oil, a place of judgment, a place of pressing. And this stands as representation to me of pride, the spirit of pride that was in the Philistines that sought to defy the armies of God and defy God himself. And this is what pride does. Pride is self-seeking. Pride is self-glorifying. Pride is boasting Pride refuses to bow, but pride also wants all the glory. 
Pride wants everyone to look at them. Pride wants its way and wants to be recognized for it. That is the spirit of our day. I will walk in my own flesh and I want to be accepted and celebrated for what I'm doing. That is the spirit of our day. It's no different for David as he faced strongholds before he could get to Jerusalem. The fifth city in Joshua 13 is Ashkelon. It's interesting, this city um, is the name that means way place, the place where they weighed and conducted commerce, where uh, shekels were spent, where business was transacted. And this represents, I believe, the spirit of mammon that will be used in the New Testament. I would put money here, but money is not the root of evil. The love of money, the spirit of money is the root of all evil. It's a spirit that says money is the chief end. It's a spirit that says possessions are what it takes to have worth and identity. And the more I can have, the more I am worth. It's the spirit that's operating in our world today. There's a spirit that's operating in our nation today. The pursuit of money and possessions. So much so that there is now a movement we know of as socialism that attempts to redistribute wealth to everyone because having everyone have wealth would be the end of all troubles that anti-God philosophy prescribes. Are you with me? And so the God is money. The government becomes the distributor of all money. So therefore, the government becomes the hand of God. I'm not interested in any man being my God. I'm interested in God being God and money being what it is supposed to be for. You work and you get money. You pray and you get money. Those are the two ways God has defined in his word. You don't get it by stealing. You don't get it by taking from others. You don't get it by demanding your way. It comes through the provision of God for hard work and prayer. And it is not the measure of my life. It is not my identity. It is not where my worth is found. It is simply a tool that is used by God's people for furthering the gospel in this world. Amen? This spirit, however, was at play in David's day. These Philistines all stood against David. They gathered there. They all gathered in this valley to stand between David and his men and Jerusalem to keep him from getting there. They established themselves as a stronghold. Now, the Bible says that David was a wise man, and it tells us this in verse 19. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Now, the word Lord here, you and I see often in Scripture. But this is the word, the name Jehovah. This is the holy name of God. This is the name that means Lord of all, the Lord of the all. And David said, I, I believe God has called me to here, but to get from here through there 
to there, I am going to have to call on the one who is Jehovah to say, Lord, I bow my life before you and whatever you want me to do, I will do. David was making here in this verse a Lord of the all moment. Nothing held back, nothing, nothing kept for himself, nothing else but Lord, what do you want me to do? Shall I go up against the Philistines? Is this the time where I go against the strongholds? Am I supposed to go into battle? This is the moment. Then David asked a second question. Will you deliver them into my hand? God, will I be victorious in this? Will this be the day? Will this be the time? Believing your promises, I'm walking in your ways. You've anointed me and called me king. What do you want me to do? Is this my moment to go up against the Philistines? You are Jehovah. Verse 19 continues and says, And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. Now, if we were reading in the Hebrew, it would say, I will deliver, deliver. Our translators have helped us with our English and said, I will doubtless deliver. But in Hebrew, it was using an English, I mean, a, a Hebrew phrase and a way of speaking that by doubling the word use, you create emphasis. They didn't have bold and italics and underline they could double click on, so they double used the word. I will deliver, deliver. I will most certainly deliver. I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. David gets the promise. Yeah, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to deliver them into your hand. You will win in this battle. You will conquer the strongholds. You will set the captives free because I have a purpose for you and you have surrendered your life to me, Jehovah. It says in verse 20, so David went to Beel Perazim and David defeated them there. Mm. Very short one verse commentary about a very lengthy and drawn out battle. There was a lot happening, but here is a one verse description. Now, what I love is what David says next, because David said in, the, in verse 20, the second part, he says, and he said, in other words, David said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water like a breakthrough of water. This is fascinating. He didn't just walk out there and say, hey, be gone, and they all packed up and left. That's not what happened. He went into battle, lengthy battle, persistent battle. And if you're gonna stand against these strongholds in your life today, it may be that God miraculously brings you through one with just a one-day prayer. 
That's not the normal routine and rhythm of God. The rhythm of God says, you want to break the spirit of resistance that stands in your way, that stands between you and all that you want to be and what God has called you to be, then there is something you're going to have to do in this fight that's going to be part of the daily rhythm and the routine. You're going to have to develop the routine and the rhythm of prayer in your life. Prayer is the discipline that brings you to the place where you commune with God and surrender your will to him. It was in prayer that Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done, right? It's in prayer that we yield our heart. It's in prayer that we surrender our will. And it doesn't happen in the one time. It happens in the regular, the ongoing, the routine, the rhythm of praying day in, day out, trusting God, crying out to God, hearing from God, and going back and praying again, and walking with him and going back and praying again. This is how you build up and break strongholds. Because David said it was like a breakthrough of water. And we all know something about water living where we do. We know about floods, right? We know about creeks rising. And we know that it doesn't ever start with just a flood, a massive flood. It starts just with a little trickle. It starts with just a little bit of water and it starts building up over time. And the more you keep seeing water come in, the more potential it has. This is the way it is with the rhythm of prayer in your life. You're wondering why you haven't seen a victory in some of the areas of your life of self-control. It's because there's some rhythm of prayer that's needed. A rhythm of communing with God. A rhythm of keeping on trusting him and crying out to him. A rhythm that's necessary. This would be true if you want to battle against resistance, but it's also true if you want to battle against the stronghold of fear in your life. It takes truth, a routine of truth coming into your life. It takes a routine of reading the Bible. It takes a routine of memorizing. It takes a routine of meditating on God's word to break through the strongholds of anxiety in your life, the strongholds of fear, the strongholds of insecurity, the strongholds that keep you back from doing what God has called you to. It's because you get into God's word and you just keep reading and you keep believing and you keep trusting and you start memorizing and you keep meditating and you keep trusting and you keep reading and in the, the continual, in the repetitious and in the rhythm, the labor comes along and then you break through the thing that was your stronghold. But it happens in the routine. It happens in the rhythm. Amen? It's the same when it comes to your appetites. You want to see a breakthrough in appetites in your life? You want to see some changes happen in your desire for food, in your dependence upon food? The Bible has given us a very specific discipline called fasting. It is the ongoing routine denial of your flesh through food, of saying, I'm not going to eat this meal or this day and it's a way of telling your flesh, you don't own this place. There is another king who resides now over my life, and I will not be controlled by my appetites. It's 
no wonder that we live in a day that is consumed with people and their appetites, even amongst the church, because this has become a lost discipline among Christians. The idea of intentionally giving up a meal or a day or three days or a week or longer with the intentionality of saying, God, I want to hear from you and be more in tune with you than my own desires. I don't want to be a slave to every time I feel a pain of hunger. I want to be a slave to you, God, and every time you call me to obedience. You won't get there. You won't get to that place of controlling your appetites until you get to the place of starting to discipline yourself through fasting. Battle is what's necessary before breakthrough. You want to break some addictions in your life? You want to break a food addiction? You want to break some alcohol addiction? You want to break some other addictions in your life? Get a hold of your flesh and say, you don't control this place anymore. The Spirit of God now lives here. And you allow the Spirit to reign in your life. And it comes through the repetition. Look, you're not going to fast one day this next week and all of a sudden be free from all addictions and hungers and appetites and urges. It will come in the routine, regular dieting that has fasting in it, that walks with God and says, I'm not going to let my flesh and my appetites rule. I'm not going to give in to every urge and appetite. Hello? It's a little bit harder talk right here, right? It's a little bit more difficult, but it's necessary. You will not see breakthrough unless you're willing to get to this battle, unless you're willing to go up against the flesh. And I'm telling you, the flesh is strong just like those Philistines are strong. They're tough. They demand their way. They make you think you're going to die if you don't get that peanut butter sandwich in the next hour. I only say that from experience. I know it. I know what it's like. But I will not let my flesh control my life. I will not let my flesh appetites control me. I will be led by the Spirit and not the flesh. Amen? The Bible also says that if you want to destroy pride in your life, if you want to bring an end to this stronghold, then you're going to have to go up against it. And there is a discipline, if you will, that's necessary. It is the discipline of worship. We're called to humble ourselves before the Lord. And then he will lift you up. We are called by God to walk in grace, and that grace comes through humility and not pride. I mean, if you're walking in arrogance, if you're walking in pride, I already know you're not experiencing much of the grace of God in your life because the Bible promises that. So the routine of putting yourself in a position, especially with other believers, to worship, and I don't mean just stand and stare at a screen. I mean, engage your heart, engage your mouth, and engage your body in the action of worshiping God, whatever that is for you, where your spirit, your heart, your emotions, your mind are fully engaged, bowed before the Lord, worshiping him with all that's within you. You want to break the spirit of pride and arrogance in your life? Then make it a routine to regularly worship him. 
not just attend a worship service, not just go through the motions of worship, but truly humbled and bowed in your heart before God, giving him all glory. And when you regularly give him all glory, you will see your glory fading away. Amen? We need to move on here. The last one is the spirit of mammon. If you want to break the spirit of mammon, the spirit of dependence on money, the spirit of love for money, then you do that through the regular routine of giving. You give to the Lord. You give of what he has given you. And you do it routinely. You don't do it once and say, well, I don't understand why God hadn't blessed me. You do it in the routine. Battle comes before breakthrough. You do the routine. You set these as your way of life. This is how I live. This is what I do. Then you will find breakthrough. This is where David found breakthrough. This is what David said next. Our last verse. It says, therefore, he, David, called the name of the place Baal Perazim. You say, I'm just so moved by that. It's amazing, right? Look here. That's because you don't know what that means. In Hebrew, you know what that means? It means Lord of the breakthrough. David said, I'm going to call this place where I did the battle. I'm going to call it Lord of the breakthrough because that's what he did. And he broke through like a, like a water gushing all over it. He said he broke over it and every bit of those strongholds were crushed. Every one of them were undone. Every one of them were bowed down. They all were flooded. And David made his way to Jerusalem after that because he was willing to make him Lord of the all. Look, there's a spirit in our world today that's a spirit of the Philistines. It's the spirit that is teaching our children today a corrupt way of life. And it's filled with every one of these strongholds right here. There's a spirit in our world today that has taken over our government. There's a spirit in our world today that's crushing families. There's a spirit in our world today that's destroying individuals. And it's the spirit of every one of these. But it's time for the people of God to say, Jesus, you are going to be Lord of the all in my life because only then will there be a breakthrough moment. Only then will we see true revival come in our land and change come to us. But I'm ready to be those people. Amen? I want to see Jehovah move among us, move among our community, and rescue those who are held captive by these very areas that they might know a life that's filled with following Jesus in every area of their life. And it begins when you and I make him Lord of the all. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I'm asking today that you'd fill us with a heart that says, Lord, I will do whatever you want me to do. You are Jehovah. You are Lord of the all. And I will walk with you. I will seek you. And I will do what you want. No area will be off limits to you. It will all be surrendered to you because I want to make you Lord of the all so I can call you the Lord of the breakthrough, the Lord of the breakthrough for all the dark valleys in my own life so that I can see you glorified and so that others can see you high and lifted up. God, may that be what happens in us today. We worship you. We bow before you as our Jehovah. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.